Good morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today's show is going to be, well, the show's called Life Unedited, so it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, a topic I'm pretty sure a lot of people really don't think about until it's happening to them. You know, you get a uh, flooded basement, your kids at school complaining about headaches, uh, you're sitting in your office and you just don't feel right. What could it be? Well, it could be mold. You could be getting exposed to mold, mold toxicity, things that people don't think about until they end up sitting with an expert because that's usually the last resort. They finally find someone who gets it. So for us today, we're going to bring in a special guest, uh, Dr. Richie Shoemaker out of Maryland. He is a mold expert, one of the top ones here in the country. He has written a book. It's called Surviving Mold, Life in the Era of Dangerous Buildings. I've also brought back with me a good friend of mine, partner of mine, uh, Bill Young of Mold and More in uh, Exton. He's a mold remediator who understands a lot of this as well, of course. He's an expert in his own field. So between the three of us, we're going to banner this around. And uh, Dr. Uh, Shoemaker, welcome to the show. Well, good morning, and thank you for the kind invitation. Uh, Believe me, my pleasure, Bill's pleasure. I want to start off with, because I'm curious, your background. I'm sorry, EJ's telling me I'm going a little loud there. Sorry about that. Your background, doctor, uh, why, why would it be mold that you would make as your specialty? When I finished medical school at Duke University in 1977, I think I was the only one in the graduating class that wanted to be a family practitioner in a rural environment. Thanks to National Health Service Corps, I was able to fulfill that dream, uh, working in this medically underserved area on the bottom part of Maryland on the eastern shore. <clears throat> we had some highway construction recently, and now we have three, oh, three stoplights in this town. I want to tell you, <laughs> it, it can take is it, it can take four minutes to get to the office in the morning. This is ridiculous. <laughs> But I wanted an experience that would let me fulfill my interests in, uh, in wildlife and wetlands in addition to providing what I consider to be high-quality primary care. And my life was idyllic. It really was until 1996 when we started seeing fish with strange lesions on them. Hmm. Turns out a year later, after all kinds of denial and no, there couldn't be a problem from Fisteria, that's what it was. And this little organism, nobody had ever seen sick people before. And when I started seeing sick people and started treating them, oh, my God, you would have thought I'd thrown uh, bleach in the eyes of the CDC. But needless to say, uh, when the data was incontrovertible, uh, they changed my name, which was FISH. I had a beautiful acronym I published, and they made it into PEAS. I said, we're not talking about pea pods making people sick. But at any rate, the possible estuarine-associated syndrome developed uh, into a whole new field because nobody knew how this illness developed, what made it go, and I've spent the last nearly 20 years unveiling 
the mechanisms of biotoxins. Infisteria was just the first. There were others, dinoflagellate illnesses, in case you've ever heard of someone traveling to an area where there's a tropical reef and eating a grouper or a snapper or a barracuda getting sick. That's ciguatera in action, another biotoxin. And if you went a little further south, you'd see a lot of lakes and bodies of water with blue-green algae growing in it. Well, you don't have to go south. Go to Lake Erie. Ask the people in Toledo about cyanobacteria from last year. That's another biotoxin illness, and you know there's just so much nonsense out there. But nonetheless, in 1998, I saw my first patient sickened by this stuff growing inside a closet that was just wet as could be. And that was the first introduction I had to what biotoxins made by mold and all the other things that live in water-damaged environments. And mold is really just a very small part of the, of the equation here. But each of these different illnesses shares a commonality. And that's the fascinating thing, John, because whether you're looking at a dinoflagellate or, or, or a, an aspergillus versicolor, they all make compounds that initiate a special kind of inflammation that normally should be helpful and protective. It's called innate immune responses. Okay. But when innate immune responses turn on the body, then bad things happen. Maybe you've heard of people having bacteria in their bloodstream. They yes. get a problem called sepsis. Yes. The overwhelming inflammation that develops from sepsis is what causes multi-organ failure, not the sepsis itself. And this acute inflammatory response syndrome can and does lead to a chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And the biotoxin illnesses all cause those. Now that we finally have information on really where this illness comes from, and it comes from differential gene activation, we have got the weaponry needed to bring to bear to stop this national plague of people being sickened, and quite frankly, doctors tell them it's all in their head. Well, here's the thing, doctor. Now, you know, I was thinking about this driving in, to be honest with you. I remember back late 70s, maybe even a little further going into the 80s, there were PSA, public service announcements related to lead-based paint, always saying, don't leave your children, you know, around lead-based paint, don't let them chew on walls, because what lead can do to the body and do to the brain. Now, mold, mold exposure, mold toxicity seems to be a much bigger issue, but I have never seen a PSA for that. People, in general, don't talk about it. I've been around the construction demo uh, field in one way or another for quite a while. Uh, these are things that the general public is just not aware of. And it, it's amazing to me. Well, I shouldn't say it's amazing because it happens with many other things as well. But they don't. someone gets sick, the doctors tell them they're crazy, they do all the tests, they can't find anything. Then they finally end up with someone like you who diagnoses this problem. But it shouldn't have to be that way where it takes that long, should it? You know, one reason that our website called survivingmold.com gets over three million hits per month is that the problem that you have so nicely described 
is not just present in the U.S. We have 125 countries represented, plus or minus every month. This is a worldwide problem. And the real issue is, I think, uh, related uh, to, to the, the root of most of evils in this world, and that's money and power. If you go back to the, 19, the 2011 paper from the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH, remember they're affiliated with the CDC, mm-hmm. they announced that up to 50% of the buildings in the U.S. were water damaged. Well, we know, based on genetic susceptibility, that 25% of patients exposed to wet buildings are more likely than not going to develop an inflammatory response syndrome. So let's just imagine if, if you are in a moldy environment in Philadelphia, say you've got a nice apartment in one of these high-rises with windows that don't open, and there's a leak on the floor above you, and, and you're told to move out, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to another moldy environment? You go to a place that has a basement that smells musty or a crawl space uh, that's guaranteed to uh, be bringing uh, bioaerosols into your living environment? Are you going to go to new construction where there's off-gassing and maybe some bad plumbing because they put it up in a hurry to save money? This, this gets to be a little tricky because when you leave that nice apartment that you had, what do you take with you? Do you take grandma's nice, expensive oriental rug? Well, carpets can't be cleaned satisfactorily. How about the Chinese Chippendale sofa that's been in your family for years? Well, you can take that, but you need to reupholster it. How about your clothes? Well, you can wash those. How about all your children's stuffed toys? And then what if you go to a, a, a school that is full of, of uh, uh, kind of wet areas in the library because they didn't turn on the air conditioning over summertime to save money? Or how about the schools in mean, our area, they almost all are flat-roofed, that have got a tar and chip roof that's seven, eight years old that starts to leak, and they all do, because you can't fix it with maintenance money if you don't have maintenance money in the school board budget. It gets to be a difficult problem because this this illness is ubiquitous uh, in its potential. That doesn't mean that it's everyone's going to walk around feeling tired with cognitive problems, but many do. And you know, when when you have blood tests done, your thyroid functions will be normal. Your blood count looks pretty good. Uh, even some of the immunoglobulins, if you went to someone that's a little more sophisticated, they're normal. But as soon as someone says. Let's see what your TGF-beta-1 is. Let's see what your C4A is. My God, here you're in the world of innate immunity, and these problems are so obvious that you have to be either blind or intentionally disinterested to not notice. Now, that's, again, kind of amazing that it takes that step-by-step process. When, In a lot of ways, and Bill, chime in here with me, when you go in to do a remediation, uh, isn't mold obvious in a lot? Like, there's obvious spots where it is? Uh, well, like Dr. Schumacher mentioned, the closet that he looked at mm-hmm. that, had, that was extremely wet and had a lot of mold growth in it, sometimes it's terribly obvious. I've been in places that the ceiling in the basement looks like it's been carpeted because the mold growth is so heavy. Usually those are buildings where... Uh, they've been abandoned by the family, and there's many of them now because of the economic crisis. You've got REOs owned by the banks where they do no maintenance whatsoever and then try and sell it to somebody uh, at 
uh, at a high price, mm -hmm. but they're asking those people to sign a document that says you're going to hold the bank harmless for any illnesses that you get from the the biologicals that are inside. Um, these are these are significant issues, but it's not always that visible. Uh, you get some uh, mesophilic molds that, uh, such as aspergillus or um, penicillium, they don't require a great deal of moisture, but you get a basement that's got high levels of humidity for a period of time, and you'll get what appears to be a dust on the surfaces. It's not actually dust, it's mold growth. Interesting. Bill, Dr. Shoemaker, we're going to take a break real quick and come back. And we're going to obviously stay with this topic. And I got a lot of layperson type questions that I'm pretty sure you guys can answer. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Richie Shoemaker, mold expert. We'll be right back. Hi everyone, it's Chris Mazza, owner of Central Penn Insurance Agency in Exton, here to tell you about this week's Policy of the Week, which comes from Exton, where I was able to save an individual over $600 a year on her car insurance while still keeping the same level of coverage. Savings like this are not uncommon at my agency, and you too owe it to yourself to see how much you can save today. Our number here is one 844 or you can reach us online at centralpeninsurance.com. That's one eight four four Mr. Quote or reach us online at centralpeninsurance.com. If your house could talk. Winter's here. You turn up my heat and dry out my air. I become shocking. My floors crack and peel. I dry out your skin and irritate your nose and throat. I make you sick. Ugh. Your home suffering from winter dry air? Get an April Air Whole Home Humidifier installed for soothing relief in every room. Say goodbye to winter dry with April Air. Visit AprilAir.com. Do you have a wedding, graduation, baptism, confirmation, milestone, or birthday to plan? You need John Surratt Catering, one of the most highly rated and preferred caterers throughout the Philadelphia area. They will be there to create and cater your event while assisting as much or as little as you desire. Planning a decadent, over-the-top company gala? Need help transforming your backyard into the party of the year? Want to wow your clients with a delicious luncheon? Then you need John Surratt Catering. All you have to do is call and they'll handle the rest. Located at 835 Lincoln Avenue in Westchester, visit them at SorocCatering.com or call 610-640-2836. That's 610-640-2836. Hello, I am Jillian Harris from Extreme Makeover Home Edition, and you are listening to WCHE 1520 AM. Welcome back. Lifeline Edited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Richie Shoemaker. He is a mold expert. He has written the book, Surviving Mold, Life in the Era of Dangerous Buildings. Doctor, real quick, can you give us, a, uh, give us your website and maybe some contact information for you so the audience, if they're having some questions or problems, they can reach out? Sure. The website is www.survivingmold.com. Uh, there is... Uh, uh, ways to contact us directly through the administrator. There's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's any number of different ways. But take a look at what's on survivingmold.com. 
there's information for everybody that's, uh, quite frankly, we, what we say we are is the only source on the Internet of not only cutting-edge research, but what we have is all based on peer-reviewed published literature. You're not going to get any guesses. You're not going to get any treatments based on anecdote. What you're going to get are the facts. If Joe Friday could come to the mold world, he would be on our website, too. Just want to let the audience know, we are going to take our time with uh, Dr. Shoemaker. We've already agreed to do a part two next Saturday. So we'll be able to go much more in depth than even normal on my show. So just follow with us. There's no hurry. We're going to go slowly. If anyone has any questions in the future, they can email me, and I'll make sure they get in. Dr. Uh, Let's go back, you know, go to the early symptoms of uh, mold toxicity. We'll just go with an adult first. What, what is an adult experiencing? What is someone experiencing those early symptoms when their body's being exposed? A couple bits of minor nomenclature might, might, might help, and it's not just semantics. When you say mold toxicity, I need to help you with that in a bit because it's not just from toxins. It's not toxicity. It's inflammation. And the problem is not just from molds. It's from bacteria and actinomycetes and mycobacteria and then compounds that are called inflammagens. They're all mixed up in the chemical soup, as many people call it, as what's found in the air and in the dust of, of indoor buildings. Many people will not notice their first symptom that they experience upon entry into a water-damaged building. There is genetic susceptibility such that only about 25% of people are going to get sick uh, with exposure. So that if you have four families moving into one apartment house, maybe only a couple people uh, from one family would be affected, and they say they are, and the other three families say, there's nothing wrong with us, what's wrong with you? You're just making it up. So the symptoms could be nondescript, a little bit of headache, a little bit of fatigue, but, you know, we're all working too hard, and, and the economy, you know, maybe coming back, maybe not. You know, everybody's got worries and some sleep disturbance, and and, and maybe there's some stress on, on at the job and a little worry and harder to concentrate than normal. And, and, and golly, a little bit of cough. Of course, it's dry air in the wintertime, and then it's too humid in the summer, and, 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 and everybody's got this going around. And then when the stomach stops acting, starts acting up from bile acid reflux and, oh, that's just, you know, take some Tums, take some Prilosec and, and you'll be all right. And when your muscles ache a little bit, well, you're not getting any, any younger, you know. And before you know it, there's 15 health symptoms with 15 different explanations and no treatment. And you go to somebody and you say, you know, I need a physical. I'm just, I'm just, just feeling run down. And they say, anything else? Oh, yes, I've got headaches. I've got muscle spasm. I'm not sleeping well. I'm having trouble with my memory. I've got abdominal pain. And I can guarantee you the next question is going to be, how are things at home? 
yeah, we'll give you Prozac for that. And and people people do. But, you know, hopefully in one of these two shows, we'll start talking about NeuroQuant, which is an objective, uh, the MRI software package that shows a unique fingerprint of volume injury uh, in the brain. And, and it's kind of funny when, when people have been told it's all in your head. Well, we now have got very clear data exactly what's all in your head. So to answer your question, some people get violently ill with immediate exposure. Usually they have some of the rarer uh, genotypes or HLA types, this genetic makeup. But the run-of-the-mill person usually will can't, won't be able to say, I got sick on Tuesday. They're going to say, you know, three months ago, is about maybe four, maybe three, I don't know for sure, but it was right around the time that mom went into the nursing home, and, and I just have, have been the same since. So that if we go one step further and say not just what are the first symptoms, but after the illness is established, say a month or two, there will be a multi-system, multi-symptom illness syndrome. And that's one of the elements of the case definition that comes actually from the U.S. Government Accountability Office looking at the federal involvement is what is a case definition. And I gotta tell you, the definition that our group made back in 2003 was supplanted by what the feds did in 2008. Hmm. Uh, and yet, you know, in all these different things, if you want to define what is heart failure, there's protocols to do that. You want to define what a blood clot in the leg is and what do we do for it, there's protocols for that. For this illness syndrome, our protocols are all peer-reviewed and published. So that if you have symptoms immediately okay that's 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 that can happen that's obvious but if it comes on that you've been sick for three months and don't know why look at the case definition as the starting point of your your mode of inquiry interesting now let's drop down now to children now I send my 10 year old we just moved from a school district we'll say and my 10 year old's going into fifth grade and he or she's had very good grades solid throughout you know, the first five years. But all of a sudden, I notice as a parent, the grades are dropping, the attention span isn't there, seems to be a little more lethargic than normal. I mean, just a host of things where I'm going, hey, that's not my kid, not the kid from six months ago. What, you know, what does mold exposure do to the growing body and the, you know, yet developed brain. What are we looking at there? The mean number of symptoms uh, in in our, our, our paper on 1,829 patients with this illness syndrome compared to 500 controls we published in March of 2013. For adults, it's right around 20. For children, it's right around 10. Children will have many of the same symptoms that adults do, fatigue and cognitive impairment and respiratory issues and funny pains, but children tend to have lab abnormalities that, uh, compared to adults, are actually worse. Children tend to have more autoimmune problems and digestive issues and learning disability uh, brought on by this illness uh, than adults. But the best part is that children get better quicker so that we use a 
reduced number of blood tests in children compared to adults. We don't want to draw all the blood that there is in a four-year-old. <laughs> but specifically, we want to know about genetic susceptibility. We want to know about inflammation. And I mentioned a couple of uh, acronyms that, that I say too fast and some people haven't heard of. You know, it was, it was funny. I was arguing with a, with a pediatric immunologist about a child's joint pain. And he had never heard, this guy's from Seattle, no kidding, he had never heard of TGF-beta-1. And I was feeling combative that day, so I said, <laughs> do, you, do you think there's more references to type 2 diabetes in, on PubMed or the National Library of Medicine, or do you think there's more for TGF-beta-1? Well, he says, well, I know there's more for type 2. I said, by a little bit or a lot? He goes, well, overwhelming. I said, there's 83,000 for type 2 diabetes and 81,000 for TGF-beta-1. And you mean to tell me you have no knowledge of that literature? Wow. So it's out there. When I say innate immunity and chronic inflammatory responses, 10 years ago, I would get blank looks from physician audiences. And now people are saying, oh yeah, we know that. When I say uh, that there's a problem with TH17, T regulatory imbalances, immune jargon, uh, if I said that to cardiologists five years ago, they would say, what are you talking about? And now it's the new fad to talk about inflammation and cardiovascular disease. Yes. Fortunately, cholesterol is taking its proper back seat behind the uh, <laughs> behind the dog in the, in the station wagon. Oh, that was good. Well, Doctor, then we'll take it to the next level now. A pregnant woman being exposed to mold. What does it do to the fetus, the unborn child? Are we looking at lower IQs and other issues because of this? I like the way you think. I really do. I had a lady who had a child that was clearly learning disabled and clearly was affected by this inflammatory response syndrome in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, and she got pregnant again, and they were in a moldy environment again. At 18 weeks, she went to the high-risk OB, and I said, look, you're going to do an amniocentesis. I want fluid tested for MMP9, for TGF-beta-1, for C4A, uh, for T regulatory cells, and the obstetrician was being very helpful, but presciently what he said was, do you have normal ranges for these tests done in children? And the answer is nobody has done that kind of work. We had a case called Aiello that was in, uh, in Michigan that came to what we call a Daubert challenge, where my opinion was, uh, can this be used or is this just junk science? And the defense was arguing like crazy that the learning disability of the child, nobody argued about that, uh, persistent till age three. I said it was due to being pregnant uh, in a water-damaged building and living for a few months in the water-damaged building before moving out. Fortunately, the child responded to treatment, and the learning disability essentially disappeared. But that court case set the precedent that, yes, indeed, learning disability uh, and developmental delays are related to exposure, could be related to exposure to water damaged buildings. Interesting. Doctor, we're going to take a break. Bill, we're taking a break. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Richie Shoemaker, mold expert. We'll be right back. While you won't find it in your grocer's bread aisle or freezer section, 
A health insurance plan does exist that costs as little as a few food essentials. Healthy PA, a coverage option that gives you access to full coverage health care from private name brand insurers, is now available to Pennsylvania residents. To apply now, visit www.compass.state.pa.us. Brought to you by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. What do I want? I want to be seen faster. I want to spend as little time in the waiting room as possible. Less waiting. More taking care of me. At Brandywine Hospital, you'll find a 30 minutes or less ER service pledge. 30 minutes or less? You can even find our average ER wait time online or with your mobile device. Don't wait when you need care fast. Turn to Brandywine Hospital. Learn more at brandywinehospital.com. Hello, I'm Edward Herman. This is WCHEAM 1520 on your dial. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Richie Shoemaker, expert on mold. He has written the book, Surviving Mold, Life in the Era of Dangerous Buildings. Doctor, please, again, give us your website and contact information. You can find me in about 500,000 documents at survivingmold.com. Excellent. Uh, of course, Bill Young here is here with me from Mold and More in Exton, PA. And Bill, uh, the doctor's given us a lot of insight on what we're looking at as far as symptoms, testing, things that can be done to help avoid this problem, and, and obviously what to look for if there is a problem. But let me go to you as, as a mold remediator. Uh, first question, uh, again, as a layperson coming at this, can I get a home test? Can I go to Home Depot and pick up a mold test and test my home? You can, but uh, it, it can be problematic because the interpretation of the results is going to be a little bit screwy. Uh, we don't generally recommend that. Um, the first step for us is to actually walk in and do a visual inspection because we're looking for what's your relative humidity, what's the environment look like, what are the other potential causes of any issues. Most of our clients tend to call us not because they're experiencing the mold illness symptoms that you've brought up before, but because they're concerned they're buying a new home and their children are now diagnosed as asthmatic and they're looking for asthma triggers. Uh, they're looking for anything that might cause them not to purchase the house uh, in protection of their family, things like that. So we'll take a look at the the scene and see what it is that's going on there. Is there a visible indication of moisture intrusion, usually in a basement or crawl space? Is it an earthen floor in the crawl space? Because there you're not talking just, to, I mean, in, in a crawl space, if you've got an earthen floor, uh, you've got to do something to control that because there's certain types of mold that will grow strictly in the earth, and even though it looks dry, that mold is still present and it's going to aerosol and it can be a problem. Um, we want to look for any evidence of water intrusion uh, in the basement itself. And what's the relative humidity? What are you doing to control the atmosphere there? Because anything that happens in a crawl space or a basement is going to impact the living space. We've actually had situations where we found mold growing heavily in the attic and it turned out that it was a pipe chase that came all the way from the crawl space that was providing the moisture for mm. that mold growth. So you've got to look at the building and get an idea of 
what's happening in terms of fluid dynamics in the building itself. And the average family of four can produce enough moisture in a year through their normal living to fill a swimming pool. So you're producing a lot of moisture on your own, not to mention the environmental impact from around that. If you want to get into testing, then the standard tests are tape lift, swab sample, uh, spore trap, which a spore trap really is your Home Depot test on steroids because we're controlling the volume of air that goes across that spore trap, gives us an idea, and then we can mathematically, we don't, the lab mathematically extrapolates what that means in the total environment. Uh, that's one method of doing it. There's downsides to that because it depends on the point in the life cycle of the mold, whether it's going to be aerosoled or not, or has it been disturbed? What's, what's the circumstance within the environment? Um, we can do uh, ERMI, what's called ERMI testing, ERMI, which is a relative mold index that was developed by the Environmental Protection Agency trying to get a standard similar to radon, where you say if the four picocuries are above, then you have to remediate because it's a, it's a hazard. They're trying to get that kind of standard. I don't know if they're ever going to get to it because everybody's physiology is different. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, and the doctor could probably speak to that much better than I. Uh, and the other testing that we can do is, is uh, volatile organic compound testing because as mold grows, it produces a variety of volatile organic compounds that can be identified strictly with mold. And that's one that we've recently started to employ. Uh, the nice part about that is that very often that test will show results before a spore trap does if the spores haven't gone aerosol. Hmm. So it, there's a variety of ways we look at that. But the primary thing really is visual. Take a look and see. Look around your environment. Those of us who spend time in an environment don't notice the changes. And so very often someone coming in from the outside will pick up on things that you just have passed off as, well, that's just a smudge from a suitcase that I stuck in the closet, not realizing that it's not a smudge, it's mold growth because there's a temperature differential between the closet and the exterior wall that it's against. And now we've got mold growth on drywall, which is old country buffet for mold. It loves it. That I've seen. Doctor, uh, in your practice, uh, in you know, your expertise, how much of the fact that uh, certain people are exposed to mold, become toxic to it, is socioeconomic, where the rich, this isn't a problem, but for the poor, this seems to be a major issue. If you ask that same question based on race, based on age, what I would have fun telling you is that beneath our skin, we are all the same. The HLA immune response genes have nothing to do with gender or race or socioeconomic class or age. We see the same problems in South Africa that we do in Australia, that we do uh, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. There is no difference in innate immunity between people that are six versus 16 or 66. The issues that we have to deal with is what are the objective parameters that we can show with uh, lab tests that are paid for by insurance companies and readily available from national labs uh, that will satisfy the case definition. If you ask the question a different way, 
is an old building safer than a new building? Well, quite frankly, it probably is. Is a high-rise, brand-new construction never been uh, occupied more dangerous than uh, a place in Chester County that's been there since 1780? it probably is more dangerous. And all of these different elements go to what we call a systems approach or a landscape approach, looking at all parameters we can possibly identify to assess illness or not. Now, Bill, is, as you know, and I'm not blowing smoke, Bill's very highly regarded in his field. Uh, he's the first uh, guy on a radio I've heard talk about picocuries or radon. So <laughs> there, you, there you go. But, and you know Bill's previous occupation? Uh, I, I thought he was president. Uh, I, well, actually, he was a policeman. He was, he was a cop for 20 years. Well, I sure <laughs> would like to arrest a lot of the people that aren't doing what Bill does, that's for sure. <laughs> but anyway, have, having said all that, what we, what we want to look at in this landscape approach, think about buildings, is, 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 is listen, we might get an argument here, is that I'm going to tell you, that a spore trap will look at structures that are three microns and bigger, intact spores primarily, and they're only 0.1% of the total burden of things that make people sick. If someone goes to an indoor hygienist and they say spore trap, I'm going to scream that you better be doing a spore trap on each of four corners of a building, do it in each of the rooms of the building, do it one out of seven days per week and 12 months out of 12 months per year. Because if you try to get a snapshot and say the building is safe, I got news for you. Uh, and quite frankly, use of spore trapping is something that I see most commonly uh, performed by people in litigation trying to say that there's nothing wrong. If you want to get the money, as Willie Sutton did, he went and robbed banks. <laughs> if you want to get what's really making people sick, look for indicators in dust and in the air that are between 0.45 and 0.6 microns. You know, when you go buy some of these portable hair filters, these HEPA filters, they don't have a 3 micron size pore that the... Uh, that you see in, in some of these air samplers, it's a 0.3, 10 times smaller pore size. And why is it so small? Because they're trying to remove the particulates that actually make people sick. Now, doctor, with what you do, and, and obviously you're leading man in your field, do you sit down, do you give seminars to developers, construction people, uh, about how to handle this? Do you work closely with mold remediators? It seems like to me, I would consider you ground zero on the knowledge base and everything to do with that. And the important thing is to get your knowledge, your information out to these people, the mold remediators, the developers, to the school districts, and so on and so forth. You work closely with them. Your point, once again, is, is excellent. And the reason that this is such a pertinent issue is that on our website, you will see that I have, while I've retired from active practice, I am training other physicians uh, to use my protocols. In fact, I will, I will certify physicians as having the basic science and skill sets needed to take care of patients who might be sickened by inflammatory response syndromes. But within a week or two, Michael Pinto and I are announcing 
a certification program for contractors because the real issue is that if you look at the indoor air quality uh, literature and all of the different authorities and people talking about it, those folks are looking at building health issues where you can get away with an air sample. I am telling my contractors that your job to remediate is to make buildings safe for people, not safe for buildings. And the issue is that what we have got to deal with, and, and whether we go back to the, the American Disability Association criteria or this concept of an eggshell plaintiff, the cleaning and remediation that must be done for a water-damaged building must be able to take care of those with the worst genetic susceptibility and the worst prior illnesses, just exactly like they've got to take care of the guy without susceptibility who feels fine. We can't have a double standard when it comes to traffic lights that are visible just for cars that are three feet above the ground. We've got to have traffic lights that can be seen for cars that are two and a half feet above the ground. There is no double standard under the law, and that is the approach we are taking to saying contractors, and like I said, Bill and I might get into some disagreement, but the real issue is that when someone like Bill says, I have made this house safe. He's put his name and his reputation, not to mention his bank account, on the line saying that I'm not going to get sued for negligence because I didn't take care of the sickest patients. Doctor, we're going to take another break, then come back for the final segment. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today's show is fascinating. We're sitting with Dr. Richie Shoemaker, mold expert. We'll be back in a few moments. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are back. Who is your child's favorite? Well, even if they can't be Leonardo or Donatello, kids ages four and up can learn martial arts at United Sports Taekwondo. I've been to the school. Located inside the United Sports Training Center in Downingtown, students take an oath before and after every class to never misuse Taekwondo and to help to build a more peaceful world. Mr. Fox, who runs the program, says that the greatest gift the parents can provide their kids is the knowledge and skill to walk away from confrontation with confidence. Imagine if every child felt that way. Kids who have confidence are not only less likely to be bullied, but they are less likely to be bullies themselves. Taekwondo improves focus, self-control, flexibility, speed, balance, and strength. So if your child does another sport, Taekwondo will complement that while teaching them valuable life skills. For the child who struggles with team sports, Taekwondo is a fun way to develop these attributes. The energy that Mr. Fox and his staff bring to class is amazing. To learn more and to schedule your free trial class, visit United Sports TKD or contact Mr. Fox at 717-469-LUPO. Mention WCHE for a special offer on an introductory program. When you have joint pain, you want to rely on the experience of world-class orthopedic specialists. And you want to return to daily activities as quickly as possible. The 3B Orthopedic Institute at ARIA offers both. The 3Bs, Drs. Booth, Bartolozzi, Balderston, and their partners, continue to offer the experience you deserve and the expertise you trust at convenient locations in Center City, Northeast Philadelphia, Bucks County, and South Jersey. For joints, sports, spine care, and more, visit ariath3borthoorg 
WCHE has gone mobile. Now you can listen to 1520 AM wherever you go using the TuneIn Radio app. Just go to the Apple iTunes Store or the Android Marketplace to download the free TuneIn Radio app and search WCHE. It's that simple. Now you can take the WCHE Morning Magazine, Ron's Swap Shop, the Sports Chatter of Chester County, and Westchester University Football and Basketball wherever you go. Just download the free TuneIn Radio app and search WCHE. Hi, this is Christy Yamaguchi, and you're listening to WCHE 1520 Radio. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my special guest is Dr. Richie Shoemaker, mold expert. He has written the book, Surviving Mold, Life in the Era of Dangerous Buildings. Doctor, again, uh, please contact information for you. Thank you so much for asking for these plugs. I'm not accustomed to that much attention. <laughs> www.survivingmold.com. We have a wealth of information that is free. We have so much to share. There is this giant gap, as you very nicely noted, open early on in the show, between what is actually true and what you're going to hear when you go to your local doctor. Even worse, when you go to your local medical school. Well, that is a problem. There always seems to be a gap or a lag time between what the medical community on the front lines learns about and comes to understand and what the experts are telling them right from jump, which leads me into one of the reasons I think this happens. And I'm going to go to, uh, to Bill Young on this. Now, Bill, you're a mold remediator, been doing this for quite a while, and, and as Dr. Shoemaker said very nicely to you, you, you know your stuff. I do appreciate that, too, Dr. Shoemaker. You know Thank your you. stuff here. But my question to you comes on an economic side now, and I think the doctor will back, will back you up on this, and he'll chime in when he feels you know, that he wants to. What are, you, what are you looking at when you go out in the field? Now, I understand uh, a family, a family of four, you know, they might be, a, you know, might be on a budget, you know, so you try to work with them and see what you can do. But I'm talking about landlords, developers, people who handle buildings. How much of an uphill battle is it to get them to do it right, if they do it at all? That's that's been one of the hurdles, and as the doctor is quite well aware, I'm sure, um, one of the reasons that the spore trap is the popular mode of testing is it's relatively inexpensive to do. And while it's um, only a snapshot and really only good for the, the fairly localized area where you take it, it's what people can afford to pay for. So if somebody's buying a house and they want it tested, if I come in there and say, well, I want to do $1,500, $2,000 worth of tests to determine what's going on Just here. the test. Just we haven't test. started the remediation part. haven't done anything part. else. Um, they start to back away. And, and so that's really the primary focus. And I did also want to touch on, and I'm, I'm loving this idea of uh, you and Michael Pinto putting this together. Uh, and I certainly want to hear more about that. Uh, we have tried for years to get in with contractors and say, look, we'll do things that will provide some protection throughout the construction process so that when they're building the house, it's not a problem. We did six homes last year in Chester County 
million dollar plus brand new construction and they had we had to go in and tear apart that brand new construction to remediate the mold that was there because of exposure to the environment during the construction process. And these were homes that people would have moved into and had no idea except that they were smart enough to hire a home inspector to come in and take a look. They noticed something suspicious. We came in and confirmed what was going on there. So he's right. New homes are not necessarily any better than the older homes. Uh, that That's a really critical issue. And I think, Dr. Shoemaker, one of the things that's going to have to happen for builders is they're going to have to rethink the materials they use to build homes. Uh, one of the things that I've been looking at over the last few months is building homes using industrial hemp, um, which is not legal to grow in Pennsylvania, <laughs> by the way, uh, which is crazy because it's not, while it is cannabis, it is not cannabis sativa, so it's not the, the kind you're going to get It just falls under of. that law that was passed, what hemp is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the nice thing about industrial hemp is that it is mold resistant in and of itself. It's also a carbon sink. The growing process actually absorbs more carbon than most trees do. Uh, that's something that builders are going to have to start to take a look at, is what building materials they're using. We will go into uh, many houses on the Philadelphia main line. Our Older homes that have been torn down, reconstructed with uh, increased basement size or various other things, they will leave older portions of the home in place because there's a tax break by doing that. Okay. And then they'll put new extended, right? Yeah. New engineered lumber in the in the additions and the other parts. And what we find is that the new engineered lumber is highly vulnerable to mold growth, and the old stuff that's been in there since the 1920s is fine. The humidity level and the moisture level in the basement is identical. There's no difference, but we've got mold growth on the new wood, no mold growth on the old wood. Uh, so that's something that I think is, is really a big part of it. Uh, if we can find ways to get testing done uh, at a more inexpensive level, then I think that would benefit everybody uh, and effective testing. And, and he's right, the ERMI test is probably one of the better ways to do it because you can take a look at really a time frame, it's a lengthy time frame of the molds that have been in that environment for a period of time. Uh, but again, cost is a factor. Well, let me ask this then, and, and this can go uh, to both of you, but I'll go, Bill, first to you because you're on the front line here with this doing the remediation work. What can the government do, the federal, state, and local levels? And I ask this because I go back to those PSAs when I was in my early teens and so forth on lead-based paint. I remember the commercials. That was a big thing. Since that time period, lead-based paint has been phased out. Things have been done to correct that in older homes. And obviously that's not an issue or one of the issues we have in newer homes. So where does the federal government come in and what about my local uh, you know, uh, uh, code enforcement officer. I mean, where does, that's a big swing. I got the government and I got my local guy. Where do they meet? Well, this is something that Dr. Shoemaker brings up mm -hmm. in, in the book Surviving Mold. Uh, there, you go from one jurisdiction to another and you'll get completely different interpretations. And I just recently ran into that where I testified in a case in Chester County and the judge understood mold and had a good idea of what the potential health effects were and really made that part of his metric as he evaluated the, the case. Um, last week I was in another county in Pennsylvania, not Chester County, and the judge had a completely different view and if it wasn't in the health code then it wasn't an issue. 
So part of it is that, uh, and some states have done this, they've set criteria for mold remediators and said this is what we want as a protocol. Um, and that is one way to begin. I don't know that we can depend on the local governments to do it for us. That's what I was going to go with, Doctor. Uh, doctor, now you, being an expert again in what you do, having written the book Surviving Mold Life in the Era of Dangerous Buildings, hence that says it all right there. What are What have you experienced in trying to get this to be a uniform law starting at the federal level? Because that will trump everything. What what roadblocks have you encountered, Doctor? Has anyone ever agreed that it's a good idea to get a letter from the IRS that says you've been audited? I got one once. I didn't like it. <laughs> Has anyone ever agreed that it's a good idea to hear, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you? If you have been helped, well, I think you're the minority. But the real issue is that when John Conyers in 2004 brought forth basically a mold bill of rights to the Congress, uh, he was stopped dead in his tracks because he couldn't get anybody else to co-sign as a sponsor for his bill. That bill was primitive. At the same time, it was parallel what we saw in Maryland. Here, I wrote mold legislation uh, for at his request to one of the state senators, and it didn't make it out of committee. If we look at what New Jersey did, New Jersey had very elegant uh, issues about patients' rights for water-damaged buildings, and it died in committee. If we look at what New York State did in 2010, they adopted some of the most idiotic ideas about mold I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> well, you know, it's just it's like we're going to ignore beta-glucans, one of the big sources of inflammation, even though one of the authors of the paper uh, was Dr. Chu from Columbia, who's an international expert in beta-glucans, and her stuff was excluded. So there is a political spin on this, and all I can tell you is that in one deposition, when I am advocating that people in a given environment should be tested with visual contrast sensitivity and that hurts me too, which is a testing uh, method far superior to uh, ERMI and the paper we're working on right now and we'll publish shortly, costs $125 as opposed to $300 and certainly compared to air sampling is a million times better, but it's far less expensive. And I was advocating that these tests be done and the attorney looked at me. This is a high-dollar guy out of Washington, D.C., and he says, you are the most dangerous man in America. <laughs> Why? Because I would insist on patients' rights to a safe workplace. I would insist on patients' right to a safe school. I would insist that universities publish on websites, uh, Hermie and, and Hurts Me Two levels in the different buildings. The University of North Carolina did that, and when we argued against what was going on at UMass with the case uh, that it's in surviving mold, it was incredible. The most dangerous building of all was student health, which is where the family was told to go have their blood drawn. Now, I'd love to have the congressional house checked. Oh, I'd I love to know go, what go, their mold. Go to the Rayburn building in the basement, the sub-basement. Those levels of Aspergillus penicilloides and Aspergillus versicolor will knock a buzzard off a mold wagon. <laughs> well, here's what it's, it sounds like there's a couple components going on here. 
it sounds like the special interest groups got a hold of our representatives as usual and in particular the builders and the, and the developers and like hey this is going to cost this money uh, and, and it works that way now I wonder insurance homeowners insurance generally does not cover mold issues is that correct Bill and, and that's that what I'm looking at mostly. In, in general they've written exceptions in for mold coverage some some policies will cover it. Sometimes you can buy an individual rider. Um, and there is a actual a database that the insurance companies maintain that if you report a mold issue, even if it's never remediated and it's taken care of by you, but you've reported it to your insurance company, they can then deny the next person that wants to buy your house homeowner's insurance. Gotcha. Um, I don't know that anybody's ever actually run into that or they've ever used it, but the database does indeed exist. See, now here's my thought on this. If you made it uniform that every homeowner's insurance policy has to cover mold uh, without a cap, I'm pretty sure the trickle-down effect will be a law passed that makes sure makes sure that the developers and the builders are doing everything they can to make positive they do not have mold issues before they sell that house. Yeah, I think you'd probably first find something like the... Um Monsanto Protection Act, which yields uh, protection for Monsanto for their products, and they would find a way not to have to actually pay that. I think probably insurance companies have been a big part of the lobby against this kind of legislation, uh, and that's where it comes into landlords. And, and well, that's what I'm that saying. You're looking at that domino effect. I believe if you may, we're talking economics, yes. everything comes down to the do follow the money trail. Yep. Go back I learned to, that. Go back uh, to Watergate. You got it. I learned that from uh, an old talk show host up here, WWDB, Irv Homer, who told me, follow the money trail. And uh, you'll pretty much find the answers. And EJ's just giving me the high sign here. So we're going to close out the show. This is part one. And we're going to come back next week with Dr. Shoemaker, Bill Young from Mold and More. And we're going to continue this discussion on mold. And another plug for Dr. Shoemaker real quick. Go out, get his book, Surviving Mold, Life in the Era of Dangerous Buildings. Doctor, can that be found on Amazon, anywhere else? Sure can probably less expensive to get it from survivingmold.com. You got it. Doctor, I appreciate it. We'll be talking again next week. Bill, thanks for coming in. And you've been listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. We'll be back next week.